Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's fall, and that means it's fair season in Connecticut. Today, we want to hear from you. What fairs do you attend each year? The Harwinton Fair opens this weekend. It's the 165th year. And next week, the Portland Agricultural Fair and Riverton Fair will welcome town residents and visitors. Now, one of my favorites has been Connecticut's biggest, the Durham Fair, which wrapped up last weekend. Which ones did you go to or plan on visiting in the weeks ahead? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we also learn about the harvest festivals in our state, from garlic to honey to apples. We hear from the Honey Harvest Festival in Stamford and the Connecticut Garlic and Harvest Festival in Bethlehem. And why are the fritters so famous at the Southington Apple Harvest Festival? We find out that's just ahead. First, it may surprise you that the agricultural fairs that happen across our country are modeled from one that started in Pittsfield, Massachusetts in the 19th century. For more on the history of ag fairs, joining us now on Zoom is Marla Calico, president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions based in Missouri. Marla, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. It's great to be with you this morning. I understand you've been to uh, some of the fairs in our state, including the Durham Fair. But I was wondering if you could start with the history of the fairs that we know about today, the agricultural fairs and New England's important role in that history. Absolutely. Well, loosely, the model that that we're working from today originated in England, but it was more of a technical type of agriculture show with the landed gentry sharing ideas with one another, uh, not like literally down in the field. Uh, But in the early 1800s, a gentleman by the name of Elkanah Watson uh, created what was known as the first agricultural society in the United States. And that was in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, the Berkshire Agriculture Society. And they had their first fair in September of 1811. Uh, They had $70 worth of prize money for oxen, cattle, and swine. And the model uh, quickly grew throughout the eastern seaboard. In fact, Elkanah Watson was known as the father of the U.S. agricultural fairs. And so the fairs that we know today, whether they be a county fair or even a state fair, are really based around that model of a group of like-minded individuals and agricultural society coming together to celebrate the agricultural products and services within their area. So yeah, the Pittsfield, Massachusetts, not too far away from you, um, the birthplace of the United States. That's really fascinating. Uh, this Watson fellow, when we think about, uh, you know, what some of his the motivations uh, to uh, get uh, people uh, talking about their animals and even the, the livestock that he kept. Can you tell us more? 
Sure. Uh, he imported merino sheep. They're known for high quality wool, of course. And he imported them into the United States because as a patriot, he believed that there was going to be another war coming with England. And he wanted the United States to be um, self-sustaining when it came to the wool that they would need for uniforms. And so, uh, yeah, he, he imported those merino sheep, brought them down to the county square, started talking with other farmers. And, and from that grew the concept that we can learn from each other uh, when we bring our animals together in competition. You know, harvest festivals had um, been around for quite some time and, and agricultural markets uh, based around harvest time. But this was really the first time where the uh, people were bringing their animals and their products, agricultural products, into competition. And that truly is what sets the agricultural fairs apart. When we think about the evolution of the, the country fair, the agricultural fair uh, today, we know there's also a special emphasis on activities like 4-H and, and future farmers of America. I'm wondering if you can talk about that, you know, as you know, people think more about where their food comes from, but also the, the supporting the local farms in their communities. Well, absolutely. Um, we talk about the activities of 4-H and FFA as developing future leaders, you know, the animals and the crops are the pathway to doing that. But, you know, what a kid learns by raising an animal, by tending an animal, knowing that you've got to do your chores before you go to, to school, knowing that you've got to work with that animal in order to be great in the show ring. You've got to learn about breeding animals in order to, to further your herd. That is leadership development, and it has become such an important part of agricultural fairs, uh, particularly in North America, but also in some form in, in other countries as well. But here in the United States, uh, most fairs will feature uh, some type of competition for youth. Some of it will be open. Uh, for example, the Harwinton Fair coming up, it is for youth age 5 to 19 or 20, something like that. I don't know that they have to be particularly attached to a club, but it is extremely important and a focus for so many fairs. And then many fairs take it even farther rather than just counting on the show ring competition alone, they will often involve these youth leaders in the barn to talk with fairgoers about their animals, to talk about agriculture, because today so many people have no concept of where their food actually comes from and what it takes to get it on their table. And so um, we call these like ask me stations. And for example, they'll, they'll set up at the end of the barn and, you know, the kids will take turns talking about their animals, talking about agriculture. And it's a fantastic way to connect uh, with consumers so that they have a better understanding. And it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful to see it in action. I've seen kids talking about pigs and sheep and cattle, as well as bunnies, and even one time, a snake. <laughs> well, if you're listening and you have a child that's involved in 4-H or Future Farmers of America, as we talk about agricultural fairs in our state, we'd love to hear from you as well. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Also, if there's a fair that you make sure you don't miss uh, each year, uh, something that's become a tradition with your family, we'd also love to hear from you again at 888-720-9677. 
or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest, Marla Calico, president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions out of Missouri. I'd love for you to talk about, um, you know, the fairs that you've attended or even the New England fair, you know, how that compares to the fairs that you have uh, in Missouri, Marla. <laughs> well, obviously there are the foundations which are similar. So, you know, carnivals, uh, outrageous food, uh, lovely competitive exhibits, the quilts, the cakes, the cookies, the art, obviously the livestock competition and entertainment. Those are the foundational elements of, of all of our member fairs, right? But what I find so interesting in traveling around the world, quite honestly, um, and visiting fairs is how each fair takes a particular area and makes it their own. It's reflective of their community, which is their purpose, right? Each fair is different. They're built to serve their community, whether it be a village, a county, or a region. And then the history that they have brought along, so the tradition. So one of the things I think about in New England, uh, if your listeners have ever been to the Freiburg Fair in Maine, it's absolutely one of the most unique fairs I have ever in my life visited. And, you know, the tradition there is the oxen. Their tradition is the wood chop. The tradition is harness racing and draft horse pulls and the skillet throw. I actually tried it myself <laughs> in uh, 2019. Uh, yes, indeed, there are photos that exist. I was able to toss a skillet about 15 feet. No way could I compete. And I know uh, Harwinton <laughs> Fair coming up again this weekend, they've got skillet throw. You're not going to see that in Missouri. You're not going to see that in California. It's unique to New England fairs. I have no idea about the tradition of it, but certainly it's something to celebrate. I think the other thing that you see, and again, in animals, uh, oxen show that is uh, unique to New England, doesn't go very far west. Um, the draft horses, certainly that is something that we see all over the country, all over the world, but those are unique. And then oftentimes, because so many of the New England fairs are literally in harvest time, uh, this is where we see the giant pumpkin the giant gourds and squash, uh, and the apples. Oh, my goodness. Um, Durham Fair, when I visited there a few years ago, they had the most luscious display of apples, uh, aesthetically pleasing to the eye, the way they had them arranged on this slanted table uh, with wooden dividers. It, it was like artwork to see those apples. So, um, you know, you will see apples in other locations, but not quite the bounty that we see because, again, the New England fairs uh, so closely tied to the harvest season. Um, we think about the Durham Fair, too, you know, the judging of the baked goods, the gourds. If our listeners go to our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live, images of this year's prize winning great pumpkin, um, uh, Marla. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to enter my baked goods in uh, one of these years. I'm going to get yeah. there. <laughs> you know, and, and even beyond the baked goods, I've, one of the things actually I remember very well from my visit to Durham Fair was in the textile division, the knitting, the crochet, etc. And they had a particular competition where you were invited to knit or crochet um, a toque, a, you know, a cap, a stocking cap. And they had them all, all in 
display, beautifully arranged, but here's the kicker. They were all going to be donated to the local hospital for cancer patients. And to me, that is the heart of what a community fair is all about. It's serving your community. And I just, I thought that was great. I still have pictures and I still talk about it when I visit with fairs about the impact that they make on their community and the ability that they have to literally change lives. Can we get back to the the skillet toss? Because <laughs> I'd love to hear. Is it more like you're throwing? Is it you throw it high? I mean, I'm curious about the strategy oh, there, Marla. Strategy, right. So uh, at least in Freiburg, they have custom-made skillets. They weigh about eight, nine and a half pounds, something like that. They look like a skillet you could cook in, but slightly different. And so you take the handle, and it's more of an underhanded toss. But the thing is, you really have got to do it with your entire body and use your legs as well because you're the, the key. And I watched, I think the woman that won was in her 70s, obviously great expert at it. I think she tossed it like 65 or 70 feet. So you got to get this huge arc and lift for it to go far. I think mine went up and just dropped right down. Um, a friend of mine, the manager of the Erie County Fair in Hamburg, New York, I think she I think she actually got second in her age group. She was much younger, and I think she like tossed it 35 feet or something like that. But I obviously did not have the lift that was required. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, I definitely need to check that out. And of course, uh, people need to stay out of the way when the, the skillets are, are tossed. Again, you're hearing Marla Calico, President and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions uh, based in Missouri. We'd love to hear from you. You know, when we think about fair season in Connecticut, a lot of fairs have wrapped up. There's still a few uh, coming up in the next few weeks. And of course, Harvest Festival, we'll be talking about that just ahead. Our number to join us, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So we've got to talk about the Big E, Marla, which we know is a huge (laughs) event, very unique. It actually, I believe, closes this weekend. Uh, Tell us about your impression of the Big E. Oh, my goodness. Again, one of the most unique fairs in our membership. It literally is one of the largest agricultural fairs in the world. Um, I love, love, love visiting the Big E. You know, it is, if you don't already realize this, it is the state fair for all of New England. All of the New England states have replica state houses on the avenue of states. Each each one focuses on the products, services, goods, tourism of that state. I mean, I love going to the Maine for the blueberry pancakes of a morning. Um, I've never yet been able to get a Maine potato at night because <laughs> the line is always like 300 people Wait. long. <laughs> and what is up with that? I saw, I, I mean, I've never stood in line for the, the Maine potato, but I mean, it's serious. There's a whole separate entrance for that that uh, vendor. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is, but, but it's so cool, but you know, the same thing they've got, they've got their 4-H and FFA shows, their livestock shows are legendary within the livestock industry. I mean, we are talking about the best of the best in new England and many competitors will, will go on, for example, to the world dairy expo in Madison, Wisconsin. They're that good. Um, Same thing. You've got the competitive exhibits and then you have to stand in line for their signature cream puff. I love, love the bands that are marching. And um, I I guess you can say I've got connections because I've been able to be on a Mardi Gras float during the evening parade uh, about three times, tossing out beads to people. And um, that is an absolutely awesome experience to do it from the float because people 
just crowding every walkway. They want to they want to see it and they laugh. And the last time I was there, I actually was doing Facebook Live because it was just too fun, you know, for everybody to be watching from that perspective. Of course, their their horse shows are amazing. Draft horse shows. Um, when I was there in 2019, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted P- Police were there and it was fabulous. So it excels in every single area of operation. Um, the CEO is uh, actually a media past chair of our organization. Uh, the people that are the professional staff, they are leaders in our industry and world renowned for what they do at the Big mm-hmm. E. It is worth it is worth the visit. It's worth going back more than once. And when we think about all the fairs that are happening across the country, I mean, millions attend the Big E. And so I think the only other one that's similar is one out in California. So uh, actually, we have probably a 10 or 12 fairs within our membership in North America that actually top the 1 million. Uh, one would be the Erie County Fair in uh, Hamburg, New York, probably the closest there in the New England area. Uh, we have three county fairs in California that also top the million mark, uh, Calgary Stampede, Minnesota State Fair, and then the, the major uh, livestock shows and rodeos in Texas. So um, North Carolina State Fair often knocks on the door of a million attendants. Uh, Wisconsin and Iowa State Fair do as well. So uh, the big Biggie is right up there with them. It typically is in the top five in terms of attendance of fairs in North America. So if you've attempted to go to the Biggie uh, this season, we'd love to hear from you, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, I lived in Connecticut for at least a decade before I, I went to the Big E, and when I did, I understood why people make a big deal about it. I have some tips, Marla. I'm, I'm curious if you want to add to this, uh, but, you know, one tip that I've learned is you just don't go on the weekend. I think last <laughs> weekend, 177,000 people showed up there on a Saturday that broke an all-time single-day attendance record. But if you do attempt to go on a weekend, you know, you will feel like cattle wading through the crowd. So instead, what we do, our family, we pick a school day. The kids will love you for it. Uh, But tip number two, uh, when we've gone, is the big ticket pack for amusement rides are really expensive. So you're going to be tempted. I'm just going to buy the smaller pack. But I've done this. Don't do it because you're going to run out of tickets after three rides. And then you have to be back in line again. So standing in line for tickets to stand in more lines for rides is really unnecessary. And I've learned that you just don't eat too much before you get to the row of state houses. This is an amateur mistake. You want to leave room for, and please don't hate me, Connecticut, for saying this, you have to leave room for the salmon on a stick at the main house. It's that good. Smoked salmon on a stick. And really, Marla, it is the only healthy thing that you can eat at the Big E. You mentioned the cream puffs. On your way out, you can actually get the Big E cream puffs and eclairs to go. And one of the vendors, I had no idea that, and I'm not sure if this vendor has been at the Big E before, Marla, but racing pigs, cute little pot-bellied pigs, the Swifty Swine racing pigs. You've got to check them out. (laughs) Marla, do you have any more tips for our listeners? Well, yes, certainly. Zach Johnson and Swifty Swine, uh, they go all over the the United States and they have a wonderful... The other thing I would suggest, even on a weekday, because um, the the Big E brings major concerts in. So even if you're going on a weekday, I would suggest getting there earlier than five (laughs) o'clock, certainly the daytime because of the traffic situation. And then 
when you leave, leave before the concert is over, uh, just because of traffic on that. And then uh, if you are um, one of those who likes to consume adult beverages, uh, over on the north side, it would be east of the administration building, there's a vendor that has um, spiked cider with fireball. <laughs> and on a cool fall night, it is fabulous. Nice tip. I'm going to have to check that out uh, next time. You know, one thing I, I wanted to mention uh, when we think about these fairs and festivals and, you know, how people, um, you know, it's become a tradition for them. So many of them are volunteer run. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So even like with the Big E, with professional staff and leadership, they still have volunteers. They still rely upon volunteers. But you look at a fair like the Durham Fair or the Harwinton Fair, they don't happen unless people are willing to contribute their time and oftentimes their money to make them happen. And they believe wholeheartedly in that fair's mission to serve their community. And it becomes a family tradition. All over the world, we hear of people who say, I've been a volunteer at the fair, but I grew up volunteering because my father, my mother, my grandparents did, my great grandparents did. It does become a family tradition. And if you are willing to volunteer, I will tell you there is not much more that's rewarding than to be a volunteer at a fair. I've done it myself. I've, I've helped in a variety of capacities. And it's, it's wonderful. And you get to interact with people in your community as well as visitors from out of town and be a part of the action. It's, it's really a lot of fun. And your local community fair festival would thank you for volunteering. If you're a volunteer at one of your local fairs, maybe you sit on the board. We'd love to hear from you as well. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You're hearing Marla Calico here with us, president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions based out of Missouri. Uh, you're also a, the host of a podcast, Marla <laughs> by the Numbers. So you're actually speaking with fair experts about their experiences. What are some takeaways that you've heard from them, especially in the last couple of years? It's been... Uh, <laughs> quite a whirlwind when we think about public events and COVID. Well, certainly, you know, in 2020, our industry, our fair industry ground to a halt on March the 11th when the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo was stopped mid-event. And from that time forward, 90%, 95% of all of our fairs were canceled. There were no fairs. They found ways to survive, of course. So when we started our podcast, uh, the first season, we really talked a lot about how you survive COVID because in 2021, going into it, we still weren't sure if we could do fairs and, and how those fairs would look. So we spent a lot of time talking with our member experts about what they were doing, how they survived with their tips. Uh, one of my favorites comes from uh, Bemidji, Minnesota, a lady there, uh, a volunteer. She's an expert at writing grants. And so we brought her on the show to talk about her tips for grant writing. In this past year, uh, we, we dug a little bit deeper into the side of our business that we don't often fully understand, even those of us in it. And that is what is it like to be a carnival operator and take the carnival rides? What are the issues that they're facing, for example, with labor and fuel and insurance? We wanted to hear their perspective. Another was from a mobile food vendor um, in the Northeast. You probably know it best as fried dough uh, and or elephant ears. And uh, it's a husband and wife and they travel up and down the East Coast. They're uh, family based from Pennsylvania. So we talked about what it's like to be a mobile food vendor uh, and do that. And then 
one of my favorites from this past year was from a, a medium-sized county fair in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, with a single idea on how to make a community impact by partnering with another community organization uh, to put on a uh, an event that the other the other entity had been putting on in the community. It was a small concert to raise funds for a foundation. And so they partnered up and translated that event to the fair and it became the proverbial win-win for everybody involved. So those are the type of things. Uh, my podcast is really geared for people within the fair industry, but if any of your listeners are wanting some insight into what it takes to put a fair on, we'd certainly love for them to uh, join in and listen to Marla by the numbers. Well, again, you're hearing Marla Calico, president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions out of Missouri. We're going to be talking about harvest festivals coming up. Marla, I'm wondering if you can just stay with us. I'd love to hear your perspective as we hear from more local residents about the harvest festivals coming up in our state. Absolutely. Standing by. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, I mentioned Harvest Festivals. We're going to hopefully talk about the Garlic and Harvest Festival in Bethlehem. Also, apples, apple fritters, all kinds of apple uh, uh, items at some of the Harvest Festivals just ahead. And there's also a Honey Harvest Festival in Stamford we're going to learn about. You can join us, too. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's your favorite agricultural fair or a Harvest Festival you're hoping to check out in the weeks ahead. It's a beautiful time here in New England. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, I know we talked about the Big E earlier, which draws huge crowds right over the border. But there's a festival happening in our state this weekend and next that also draws huge crowds and I understand is one of the largest and longest running festivals in the Northeast. 
I'm talking about the Southington Apple Harvest Festival. Will you be there? We want to hear from you, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on Facebook or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. On the phone with us now is David LaPrey. He's the event coordinator for the Southington Apple Harvest Festival. Begins today and running through this and next weekend. You can get more information at our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. David, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. So tell us, why is the Southington Apple Harvest Festival so famous? I would say, in, in a couple words, the apple fritters. Um, you know, that's that's the huge draw. People, our local Zion Lutheran Church is in charge of that booth, um, and it's extremely popular. You know, everybody all year round is, is waiting for uh, uh, the day when we open up for, for this fall festival for when they can start to get in line. And uh, they do get in line early um, and wait quite a while for the fritters. So that's one of the, the main key, key things that is a big draw. Um, but just all in all, this is, uh, you know, you said it, one of the longest running. It is our 53rd uh, annual festival this year. So we've been around for quite a while, and uh, we're looking to get going uh, this afternoon at 5 p.m. So you talked about the fritters. So tell us a little bit more about these these special fritters, <laughs> David. <laughs> you know, I wish I, I wish I knew the secret recipe for that, but they keep that under lock and key. Um, but whatever they're doing, they're, they're doing it right. Um, you know, like I said, people, um, the, tonight, and over the weekend, they'll be lined up for, for a block or two to wait in line for up to an hour and a half. So it's a, it's a testament to them. That's a, it's a great fundraiser for that group. Uh, they do look forward to this, uh, this festival to help out their needs. So uh, like I said, we're, we're happy to get going. Really? As well as for the other vendors, too, you know, that are, this is a big <laughs> fundraising event for them. I'm sorry. So really, people are standing a block and a half to get these fritters. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the line on especially on parade day, um, they will be down wrapped around by town hall, which is uh, a couple of blocks away. Yeah, it's, it's quite amazing. <laughs> and on Facebook, shared the Southington Apple Harvest apple fritters are bomb. They're the best every year. I hold staff meetings there in October so we can all enjoy. And that is a great idea. <laughs> uh, I wanted you to respond, uh, David, uh, uh, to our to the one. Uh, commenter on Facebook. That's a good idea, having the staff meetings at the Southington Apple Harvest Festival. That sure is, yes. We'll, we'll welcome them there. And, and the Fritter booth is the only booth that is open during the week. Um, most vendor booths, they do close when our festival closes. Um, you know, we run Friday to Sunday, but the Fritter booth does stay open Monday, you know, all week long, and they will open at 6 a.m. Um, during the week. So when people are lined up at 5.30 to get Fritters to bring it to work, give to their, their uh their workmates and employees. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to have a, a, a work meeting down there, feel free to stop down. <laughs> You're also Director of Recreation, Youth, and Senior Services for the town. So I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, what this means for the town to have this annual event. You know, people are coming in from, from out of town uh, for these fritters, but what it means to your community especially. Yeah, it's a, this, this festival started as a, um, you know, 53 years ago, just for the civic groups in town. Um, you know, maybe there was a handful, up to 10 civic groups. It could have been the, the local Lions Club, the Elks Club, Kiwanis, et cetera. So it started very small um, as fundraising for them to, to make some money and, um, you know, come for the season throughout the year. Um, but over the years, it has grown into, you know, we're up to close to 80 vendors this year. Um, we have we do it in a downtown area, which is, um, I think, is a great 
um, area for it to be. It's, it's homey. It's, it's localized. Um, you know, we have restaurants. We have businesses around that, that profit from it, too. So um, it's just a, it's a local hometown event. It's, uh, it's in a great location, and it just has a different feel for it than being in an open area, a field-type space. Um, so I think that's a, that's a main draw. So. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as we learn about ag fairs, but also harvest festivals uh, coming up in our state. Uh, with me on the phone is David Lepre, who's the coordinator for the Southington Apple Harvest Festival beginning today, running through this and next weekend. When we think about the vendors, are they all apple-themed, or is it quite a variety, David? Oh, it's it's a it's a variety. There's uh, a full array of, of food vendors. I mean, there's everything down there. We also have local businesses or businesses from around the state that come in and, you know, they sell their services, um, hand out information. So it's a it's a full variety of different things. I know I, we've been talking about ag fairs. Uh, with us also on Zoom is Marla Calico, who's uh, the president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. So we're hearing about, you know, how this started at, out to help support uh, civic organizations, Marla, in the town of Southington. And now they're known for their fritters. I wonder if you can talk about how, you know, harvest festivals are, are also part of, you know, these traditions that we see not only in New England, but elsewhere. Well, absolutely. And again, it all goes back to food, right? The food that was grown in a particular area, the food that was celebrated. And and fairs, you know, they, they come back together uh, just like festivals and have feature items that are part of that, that annual harvest celebration. Um, sometimes we don't think about that. Sometimes they're disguised as a, a more sinful type of food, but it, it truly is about that, that celebration of, you know, whether it's apples or the National Orange Festival in California or the Strawberry Festivals in Texas and uh, Florida, um, that food is food comes from a farm. It has to be grown somewhere. And so I, I love it. I tell you, hearing about these apple fritters is making me hungry. I wish I could be there. Oh, well, I'm sure you have an open invitation to come uh, anytime to Connecticut, uh, Marla, to, to try uh, the Southington apple uh, fritters. I want to thank David Lepre for joining us. And good luck this weekend. We hope you have a great event. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Again, you're listening to Where We Live. We'd love to hear from you as we talk about uh, favorite ag fairs or harvest festivals in our state. Our number, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Connecticut Public's Frankie Graziano tweeted, I'm definitely a fair cat. Classically, I'm all about the Harwinton Fair. Frankie writes, real small, not as much space to conquer for my small mind. But since I moved to Glastonbury, he'll do the Hebron Fair. And the weekend of October 14th, I'll likely be at the Glastonbury Apple Harvest Fair. I should mention there's another apple festival happening in our state this uh, weekend, and that's the South Windsor Apple Festival happening tomorrow. You know, we wanted to learn more about other harvest festivals in our state. Joining us now on Zoom is Paul Travellino, who's co-chair of the third annual Honey Harvest Festival in Stamford, Connecticut. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. The Bartlett Arboretum is excited to talk about what we do and uh, particularly the Honey Harvest Festival. It's such a fun event. And so it's the third annual. So tell us about the impetus behind uh, this event. That's a good question. You know, we decided a few years ago to hold events that we would not charge admission to, to bring in as many people to connect them to our mission, which is essentially to connect people to the botanical world. Uh, the Arboretum is essentially in a sense, a tree museum, but we're also a botanical garden. 
and it was a natural. We've always had bees on the uh, on the campus. I I started my affiliation back in 2004, and immediately saw the beehives and went, "Those are kind of interesting. What are they all about?" And a good friend of mine who uh, who was on the board of directors at the time uh, told me a little bit about it. We we also have an observation hive in one of our buildings, which is um, you know kind of a contrived environment, but it's a few frames of bees sandwiched between glass with a way to exit out the building. And I was completely fascinated. So fast forward to when we were trying to decide what to do as a fall, we, we do a honey harvest festival uh, in the fall. In the spring, we do an Arbor Earth Day where we try to split the difference between Arbor Day and Earth Day. And that's a similar festival, but with a slightly different bent. But it was very natural for us to think about how could we connect people to our, our grounds by introducing them to bees and not just beekeeping, but also the fruit, if you will, of beekeeping, which is honey. And um, everybody from older people to, I mean, the kids, we did a, uh, a harvest itself. We did an extraction uh, as one of our last sessions and it was filled with just little kids, some of them, you know, in bee costumes and it was completely adorable. <laughs> it's also fun. I know and other um, events that I've attended where you know you, you have the the kids or anyone really try to find that queen bee. <laughs> yes, and and you know a lot of a lot of times now those queen bees are marked with a, a dot that corresponds to the year. It's sort of an international bee color, and that aids in the uh, detection of where the queen is. Um, but it's the kind of thing once you find her, even unmarked, you you know it's her. She's about twice as long and um, really stands out, and all the bees around her that attend to her as she uh, transits across frames, laying eggs and doing whatever else she does. Um, they're all sort of pointed at her. So you can kind of tell the queens in town. So your focus is on, on honeybees. You know, I'm wondering when we think about pollinators, I know we've done shows in the past about the importance of pollinator pathways and how, uh, you know, the focus on the honeybee, does that spark conversations about, you know, the, the native bee population as well and, and the importance of biodiversity? I'm just curious your thoughts there. It does. You know, honey, some people think honeybees are invasive. They were actually introduced by European settlers in the early 1600s. So they've been here for quite some time, but they are definitely not native to North America. The specific um, bee that we have is Apis mellifera, and that was introduced uh, from Europe. And they they do place some pressure on native pollinators. That's a bit of a debate in the UK where they found that, you know, when, when people do surveys, they find honeybees are, you know, a lot more present than some other native pollinators. Um, but honeybees are also part of large agricultural operations. Uh, you know, it's often said that some, what is it, 20% of what you see in a grocery store is there only because it's been pollinated. And I think until we have flying nanobots to do the pollination for us, we're going to have large scale migratory beekeeping that, you know, pollinates strawberries and almonds and apples and other things like that, blueberries. Um, so, but a, a, as a smaller scale beekeepers really do it for the love of the insect and the love of the product of the insect, which is the share of honey that we get to take, um, when there's a little bit of a surplus. Mm. And getting back to the, the honey harvest festival, other vendors that you want to mention for people who are going to check it out? Well, we, we have anything from jewelry vendors to food trucks, to people who make things out of the products of the bee, uh, Clearly, we sell honey, but we also have people who are candle makers and make other products like that. Um, I don't know if you know, but bees not only collect pollen and uh, nectar for honey, 
but they also collect tree uh, resins, sap and resins, and they make a product called propolis. What they use it for in the hive, among other things, is to seal up any seams. So if you were to take a honeybee hive apart, you'd often see this kind of dark brown, reddish, you know, substance in the corners where they're trying to tighten up their environment and be able to thermoregulate it. Uh, propolis is a wonderful thing as a tincture to put in your throat if you've got a scratchy throat. Um, honey, a lot of people think have has medicinal qualities, and there are certain types of honey that particularly are good for the manjuka honey, which is really from Hawaii, uh, is, is good for wounds. Um, I've actually smeared honey on open wounds and felt it had a pretty good effect. Um, I, I know a beekeeper for a long time uh, had arthritis in both elbows, and he removed a hive in someone's uh, someone's attic, and he kept leaning on the bees, and he kept getting stung in his left elbow, and his arthritis went away. And I just read, which I think is completely fascinating, they tested uh, bumblebee versus honeybee venom, and you know, in one study, just one study, they found that it had an impact on triple negative breast cancer. So I don't think we've really discovered all that the honeybee can bring us, but we are really fascinated by it. And we thought it'd be the great, a great way to bring the community together. Again, you've been hearing Paul Travellino, co-chair of the third annual Honey Harvest Festival in Stanford. A real pleasure to hear from you and to learn about this event. Uh, you can see images, our listeners, from this year's Honey Harvest Festival online at ctpublic.org slash where we live. Paul, thanks for your time today on the show. Thanks so much. Again, we're talking about agricultural fairs and harvest festivals here on the show. You can join us. Uh, let us know about the ones that you and your family make sure to attend each and every year. Coming up after a short break, we're going to learn about the 17th annual Connecticut Garlic and Harvest Festival in Bethlehem. That's happening October 8th and 9th. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Fall in New England brings beautiful scenery, plenty of fall fairs and harvest festivals. There's still time to check out Connecticut Agricultural Fairs this weekend and next. Go to our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live for a list. As, we're t- as, we've been, as we've been talking about, harvest festivals are also happening in our state. We heard from the Southington Apple Harvest Festival, also the Honey Harvest Festival in Stamford. Uh, Robin Doyne Aiken from Connecticut Public uh, writes about the Southington uh, Apple Harvest Festival. I've stood in line for apple fritters many, many times. Don't be discouraged. The line actually moves very fast. The fritter makers have this system down, and those glorious fritters are well worth the wait. Thanks, Robin, for that share. Uh, We wanted to learn more about the 17th annual Connecticut Garlic and Harvest Festival that happens in Bethlehem, October 8th and 9th. With us on the phone is Dave Harkness, who's the co-founder and event coordinator. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So I have to admit, this has been on my list every year. I have yet to go. I need to go this year, uh, Dave. Tell us, you know, how this got started. Well, my partner went to the uh, Saugerties New York Garlic Festival back in 2004, 
and he came back from that, and he said, wow, that was a wonderful event. We should start one in Connecticut. And I had never even heard of a garlic festival before, but he told me about how much good food there was, and uh, the theme of the vendors, uh, garlic themes, was uh, just something that we thought we should bring to the state. And so what has been the reception? I mean, 17 years going strong, it sounds like people love it. Well, we had a bit of a rough start because our first year we ended up with torrential rain. It was remnants of a tropical storm um, on our opening day, and we only had about 30 vendors signed up, and most of their setups got destroyed from the heavy uh, rain and winds, and they just came on Sunday and took down and left, and we were left with about, I think, 16 vendors on Sunday of our first year. And from that, we've grown to the point where we max out the Bethlehem Fairgrounds. We have approximately 250 vendors signed up this year, all sorts of um, specialty foods, crafts. We have a total of um, 54 vendors that are going to be on site making uh, food to eat, like food trucks and food stands. Uh, So it's been well-received over the past 17 years. We've grown from basically nothing to something that maxes out the Bethlehem Fairgrounds. If you've attended uh, the Garlic and Harvest Festival in Bethlehem, we'd love to hear from you, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, when I think about late fall, that's the time to plant garlic. So is this something that, you know, people are also thinking about when they attend, or is it just to, to eat everything that uh, has garlic in it? <laughs> Oh, no, it's about planting garlic, too. We have about uh, 24 garlic farms that are going to be on site selling uh, seed garlic and garlic for eating. And on top of that, we have um, garlic growing lectures going on under our demonstration tent throughout the day. So if you are unfamiliar with how to grow garlic and want to learn, that's something you could do as well at our event. So I'm going to put you on the spot. you got any tips for our listeners uh, who are thinking about maybe planting garlic? You know, what varieties uh, are, um, um, you know, there at the, the actual festival that, that you can tell us about right now? I don't grow garlic. I, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I love it. But if people go, they can learn about uh, growing garlic from uh, yeah, the we, many. We have uh, some of the farmers that set up booths at our uh, festival doing the talk. So they're very familiar with um, the varieties. They can guide uh, their listeners as to what to plant and how to grow it. Are there any unusual food items uh, that are that are at the, the festival that you want to talk about? Yeah. um, Basically, we have two garlic-themed food courts, and I ask that each food vendor in one of our food courts has at least one item with garlic as a significant uh, use. We have one vendor that was new last year that I thought was really good. It's um, deep-fried Brussels sprouts with garlic aioli and pecorino cheese, and that was outstanding. There's also a uh, a mac and cheese food truck that was new last year. It'll be back this year, and uh, they have a bunch of different uh, specialty mac and cheese made right there on site, and that was good. And there's a new trailer that's going to be there this year. Um, it deals with um, steak tips, and they have a garlic marinade for their steak tips, and they serve the steak tips a number of different ways. So I'm excited to have them. Um, there's a couple of slider trailers that do specialty sliders. Um, one of them does this uh it's a. It's called the Balboa, and it's got some uh, sausage and roasted red pepper on a garlic toasted bun with garlic aioli, and that is outstanding. But um, there's a lot of um, 
unique, interesting food vendors in both of our food courts. There's a uh, place that comes and does uh, dumplings, a place that comes and does strudel. So um, it's not just your typical fair food. It's some unusual things that you wouldn't find elsewhere. And what about garlic pickles? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we do have um, probably four pickle booths at our event. And there are the, um, the big barrels of pickles. And, uh, yeah, people love the pickles. I love it. Uh, when we think about again, uh, you know, the fact that this has been 17 years in your in your uh, community, uh, I'm just curious when you think about what it means uh, that you started this, and you know, the fact that so many people um, are attending. It, it must be something to see what you've created. Yeah, it, it's satisfying. It's, it's a lot of work and a lot of stress leading up to it. But um, when I go there and see the amount of fun people are having and how good the vendors are doing, it just makes it all worthwhile. Now, you can see images from last year's Garlic Harvest Festival, Garlic and Harvest Festival in Bethlehem online at our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. You know, I asked you about planting garlic. Don't worry, listeners. We're Charlie Nardozzi uh, from the Connecticut Garden Journal will be coming on in a couple weeks. I'll be sure to ask him <laughs> that question. And, of course, we'd love to spotlight some of those garlic farms in our state. Uh, Dave Harkness, thank you so much uh, for telling us about this event. Uh, anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Again, it's a happening October 8th and 9th? Yes, October 8th and 9th. Um, our website, if you want to check it out for any more information, is www.garlicfestct.com. We do have um, some activities for kids, too. If um, you have kids, there's going to be rides and games, and there's also going to be free pumpkin decorating. Uh, so if they want to come and get a free sugar pumpkin, decorate that. That's also going to be available. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Again, that's Dave Harkness, co-founder and event coordinator for the 17th Annual Connecticut Garlic and Harvest Festival in Bethlehem. Marla Calico is uh, still with us. Marla, I wonder if you can respond to what we've learned about some of these harvest festivals in our state. You know, so very similar to the agricultural uh, fairs, the county fairs, uh, lots of the same components. Again, celebrating food, uh, where our food comes from, celebrating the growers and, and all the ways that, that we can use it. So many similarities there. Um, again, you know, the, the garlic festival is great. And I love the fact that they've added the education piece to it. And I think that is so important in both fairs and festivals that we help people truly understand where the food comes from, but how they can also participate, how they can become a grower. I was, as, as I listened, listened to him, I was thinking about my feeble attempts at growing garlic about 20 years ago. Uh, and it, it was a lot of fun, uh, but um, you know, I needed to learn more. So I'm glad they're serving the community that way. Again, you've been hearing Marla Calico here where we live, president and CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions based in Missouri. Marla, let us know when you're in New England for fair season. We'd love to, to, to walk around with you and learn the inside <laughs> scoop on all these fairs and expositions. Thank you. I would love to do that. And I will let you know when I'm back in the region, possibly next year. Wonderful. Thank you, Marla. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. Lily Tyson was on the phones today. Special thanks to her. We hope you have a great weekend and we hope you enjoy that Southington Apple and Harvest Festival coming up as well as the one in South Windsor tomorrow.